Okay, it's Adrian Bow here and we're back with the Adrian Bow podcast. So it's certainly been a few months and the title of this podcast is What Have I Learned? Uh, obviously, it's been some months since we've uh, run the podcast. Um, the previous agenda on the podcast was mainly interviewing agents. Myself and Troy Malcolm used to interview agents. Uh, we'd of- often talk about some coaching tips in real estate. We'd touch on people's lives that we're interviewing, and we'd also uh, have insights into our own lives and learnings. Um, so what will the Adrian Bove podcast of the future look like? I'm not sure, really. I just know that today feels like the right day to recommence the podcast. Uh, it may include Troy Malcolm again. He's an extremely close friend of mine. Uh, it may include interviewing agents again. Uh, it may just include me talking. Um, and it could include other business people as well. But just today felt like the right day to restart it. And obviously, I've had a lot of requests uh, over the last six months in particular, people wanting the Adrian Bow podcast to come back. So I'm delighted and, and humbled that there's been learnings for people. And obviously, I'm very pleased that many people have seeked solace or uh, some type of um, benefit in the podcast over the last couple of years. So thank you for all the feedback. So I've jotted down a few points here on what I've learned over the last few months and I'll go through them one by one. Um, The first one I jotted down is that COVID is a metaphor. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that over the last few months, um, I've seen COVID or or, uh, um, the the virus 19 that, that everyone's obviously experienced and tragically you know Australia's lost you know over 100 lives and throughout the world there's been you know 350,000 odd lives lost which is which is which is horrible um and I certainly don't want to dilute that tragedy by calling it a metaphor but I have been alive for 49 years and I have been in the real estate industry for 31 years and throughout my career in real estate um Things such as COVID, uh, I call them black swan events, uh, and Dr. Fred uh, also refers to them as as black swan events. Um, They've happened quite a lot, actually, during my real estate career. Uh, We had the early 90s recession, um, even the late 80s when I first got into real estate. We had uh, double-digit interest rates, you know, 17 18%. We've had the GFC. We've had 9-11. We had the credit crunch a couple of years ago. Um, and then obviously COVID most recently, and and uh, as of a couple of days ago, they've they've announced Australia's in in a recession. So there's, there's always going to be these black swan events. Um, what I've learned is that the reason they're a metaphor is that one, you can't control them; two, they're not going to stop happening; three, is uh, agents or business or business people in general, or even just your personal life in general, uh, happens to continue, and people still thrive, uh, both businesses and 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 in their personal lives, um, and time heals all. And what I've noticed is that some. Uh, real estate agents let, let's let's be esoteric and just focus on 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 the real estate industry some avid agents have actually increased their market share uh due to some attrition of just agents you know leaving the industry um you know just given given the uh uh the issue of the economy and obviously volume massively decreased uh there's just been agents that have left so we we've seen some agents pivot in this market um, we've seen them thrive and increase market share. Um, so w- what I'm saying is that, one, you need to budget for these black swan events because they're certainly not going to end. They're just going to continue. And uh, my personal theory is that they happen every three to five years. Um, two is you need to have a business model that is not only resilient to these black swan events, but um, really impervious to them. And what I mean by that is that um, 
your business should be able to continue and have no leakage regardless of what's happening in this, what we call the outer marketplace, whether it's interest rates, GFC, COVID, whatever it might be. Um, and frankly, what the advice I've given to a lot of agents I've coached during this period, which I've been fortunate enough to, is that if you've had to make dramatic changes in your business apart from just the legislative changes that were mandated upon us which was at the time um, no open for inspections no public auctions that's been lifted now but if you had to make too many dramatic changes during the COVID period you were probably off track anyway so Warren uh, uh, Buffett often refers to a saying that when the tide goes down anyone with their trunks off get exposed and I think this is what happened is the tide went down during COVID and there are a lot of people with their trunks down and they got exposed so what's an impervious robust and resilient business look like well it, it basically looks like doing everything right and doing small things consistently well over a long period of time so let's look at the main buckets uh, and I just put them in buckets or silos number one is you've got to continue to both nurture and grow a database. So what's a database? A database is uh, people that own real estate um, that uh, get put into a curated list. It could be a CRM system. It could be an Excel spreadsheet. It doesn't really matter. Um, and you continue to add to that database and nurture it. Now, what's, what's adding and nurturing look like? It's very, very simple. And this should happen regardless of black swan events, number one, and regardless of how many listings you've actually running at, at any particular time. So the common mistake for a lot of people is that they tend to scramble and prospect like hell when they've got little to no listings. Uh, then they get three to 10 listings, let's call it, and then they spend all their time servicing those listings and doing negotiations and vendor management and buyer management, which is all, which is all great stuff. Um, but the first uh, activity that gets cannibalized is prospecting and building and growing and nurturing your database. So, so growing and nurturing your database needs to be a constant and it needs to be perpetual uh, throughout your career, number one, two, and two, throughout any black swan events that's going to occur in the future. Um, so what does it look like? Basically, what it looks like is identifying anywhere between 50 to 200 people per month that own a piece of real estate. You don't have to meet them, but you need to speak to them and you need to add them to your database. That means you're growing your database uh, by anywhere between 500 to, to 2,000 people uh, per year. Uh, that is of owners, people that own real estate. Now, that includes people that say, I'm getting carried out in a box, um, uh, to people that say, call me in three months, I'm thinking of selling, and ever, anyone in between. So that's an, a pipeline owner database building strategy. Now, there's, there's a buyer uh, pipeline strategy and a buyer strategy where you can service buyers and you should be servicing buyers. That's separate, so we can deal with that on a separate coaching session or whatever it might be, but, but this, this pipeline database building piece, 50 to 200 per month. Now, any agent I work with, uh, and I'm very fortunate to work with a lot of great agents, is, is I keep them accountable to this on a, on a weekly basis, actually. Um, and uh, the, the beauty with that is I have so many agents that, that email me and say, Bowie, I had a great week this week. I added 36 people to my owner pipeline database. I had uh, 14 face-to-face -face meetings because that's another metric that I hold people accountable to. And I sold one and I didn't list anything. No problem. Good week in the sense that it's tangible. You can look at it. As they type it, they feel better about themselves. This is an extremely disheartening business where, unfortunately, a lot of sales managers and principals erroneously only use two metrics, which is listings and sales. In my coaching, I use four metrics, listings, sales, number of data entries, and face-to-face -face meetings. Because listings and sales is the short game, data entries and face-to-face -face meetings is the long game because those data entries in those face-to-face -face meetings may not amount to anything today, next week, or next month. But if you're playing the long game, they will amount to uh, something in a year, two years, or 10 years. 
Um, so those four metrics are, 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 are critical. The nurturing side of the data, what's that look like? It's so simple, guys. All it is is four, a minimum of four phone touch points per annum. So that's uh, a touch base call or message or personalized text. It can't be generic. That's the only thing. So it needs to be a genuine call saying, hi, it's Adrian Bo. Uh, I, I spoke to you th six months ago. Uh, just wanted to see how you were doing in your buying search or potentially uh, knowing what the value of your particular property is. Uh, we're getting some great results in the area. Uh, how can I be of any assistance to you? So that's a genuine touch base call. So whether it's a message or a call, and then all you do is schedule it for another three months. Now, that's a very basic database plan that I've just given you there. So 50 to 200 per month building it, minimum four touch points per year. Now, any agents I work with, there's always more than four touch points because uh, in my listing and sale checklist, which is a five point list and sale checklist, you've got every listing, you do 50 connects on your database, geo-targeting letting them know you've just listed that property. And one of my sale checklist items is another 50 connects geo-targeting through your database when you just sold a property. So you do that um, plus your minimum four touch points plus uh, in, a, in a secondary sense, uh, they might get a DL card off you. Uh, they might drive past your office. They might see a signboard. They might see a sold sticker. They'll see a social media post. Uh, they'll get a price drive letter. So all these uh, uh, lead generation exercise or all these touch points, if you will, all they are a, a means to an end to try and achieve a face-to-face -face at some particular point. Because when you think about it, everything we do in this industry, whether it's a DL card or a, or a prospecting call or a callback or answering an email inquiry or a social media post, they're all means to an end to achieve a face-to-face -face because face-to-face -face is where the magic happens. That's where uh, listings get signed. That's where offers happen. Um, that's where deals go down. That's where you're sitting in front of a, a vendor and getting a price alignment if that's necessary. Uh, so a lot of the focus with a lot of these coaches uh, is oh, prospecting, prospecting, prospecting. That's great, but it's really just one of about 15 means to an end, which is face-to-face, -face, and that is the end, uh, in order to have magic occur because face-to-face -face meetings again is where all the magic happens listing sales offers price alignments um yeah, that's where it's at so um when i go back to my first point of COVID being a metaphor uh, i'm suggesting budget for it because it's going to happen again and the best way of creating a resilient impervious robust business model is to both grow and nurture a database. That's the that's one bucket or one silo. The next one is expired listings. Have an expired listings plan. Don't make it complicated. Uh, track everything that's 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 been on the market for more than sixty or ninety days. Um, the third uh, uh, silo or, or bucket, if you like, is a past client plan. Um, now this is this is probably the lowest hanging fruit you could possibly imagine. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible that three years ago, someone bought or sold through you. Um, You're entrenched in their lives for four to six weeks, knew their kid's name, you knew their, their school route, you knew the, the, how the, the parents got to work every day, uh, you knew what hours they worked, you, you knew what they had for dinner because sometimes you'd be over there meeting with them. And yet, three years later, um, you, they haven't heard from you. And at the time, you earned or your company earned a commission check from anywhere from 10 to 60 or $80,000 and they haven't heard from you since. It's just insanity. So you've got that low hanging fruit and then you've got agents still waking up every day saying, oh, what do I do? I don't have any listings today. I'll go and bug my sales manager to, uh, uh, to adopt a spray and pray approach and have them pay for DL cards uh, and, just, and just drop them around the area. I mean, deal cards, I'm, I'm suggesting, are not uh, uh, something that uh, is, is antiquated. I mean, they're still part 
of a prospecting plan, but in isolation, they're ineffective. Um, um, part of a, a ubiquitous type of approach, they still are effective. So if you're doing prospecting, if you're doing past clients, if you're doing expired listings, uh, the fourth one then I might as well launch into, which is some sort of success marketing. It could be DL card, it could be a price drive lever, letter, it could be uh, a, a, a social media post about just listed, just sold. Um, so some sort of success marketing it could still be print media. Um, it, however you decide to do it, I think it's an important fourth bucket that you need to look at. Um, the next bucket or silo, if you like, um, is past open for inspection lists and there's there's so much orphan data out there it's insanity so if if there's people in either your business or one of your colleagues business that haven't been called for a long time that's a very important bucket or silo of lead generation opportunities the next one is digital and social um, so if you're not on digital or social um, then you're losing ground. Digital and social are no longer optional. You're either in or you're out. There's no grey area. It's like pregnancy. It's you're either you either are or you aren't. So with digital and social, there's so many platforms. I mean, you've got Rate My Agent. You've got uh, Facebook, which you can geo-target and put in people's demographics, the area. Um, you've got uh, REA now and domain, which allow you to do testimonials and uh, and elevate and um, you know do retargeting. There's just so much great information out there. Worst case, you can look at SEOs. You can you look at Google AdWords. I mean, there's there's plenty of ways to approach it. Um, so the, they're the main buckets that you need to maintain and do all of them constantly in order to have a resilient, robust business. The other thing which goes without saying is just constantly offer incredible service. I mean, all these things, you know, they've got, they've potentially got a cost and an effort attached to them. The things that we just talked about, all those buckets like the, the database, the, pros, uh, the, uh, the prospecting, expired listings, past clients, they've, they've either got a cost or an effort associated with them. Um, in offering incredible service uh, there is no cost uh, and, and there shouldn't be an effort to it. Now, that's to everyone, uh, whether they're a barista or, or a barrister, you know, and everyone in between. So whether it's a tenant, landlord, potential uh, uh, vendor, potential buyer, whatever it might be, you just need, you're obliged really to, to you know, embrace being an agent embrace being a salesperson um, and when you're in front of them don't be distracted be present bring be in front of them and if they're interested in buying take a damn interest in in what they're looking for um, don't just uh, be uh, conditioned by the old forms that we used to have in front of us which said bedrooms bathrooms price range suburbs i mean that's insanity if there's a buyer sit down with them and say well how, how do you get to work how do your kids get to school what's what's a non-negotiable for you um is it the aspect of the house is it is it the road um you know what what sort of neighborhood do you want to live in um is a park or is is transport you know crucial these are the things that people will remember you for and it's as we know it's not necessarily what you say that people remember, but it's how you make them feel. And it should be effortless the way you make people feel. If it's, if it's a vendor, listen, sit down and say, this is a really important meeting for, for you. And it's an important meeting for me, sir or madam. Uh, what I'd like to do is create an agenda, if that's okay with you. Um, so why don't we look at process? Why don't we look at timing? Why don't we look at presentation? Let's look at method of sale. Let's look at the value of your property. Let's look at the costs involved. And uh, before we start on process, is there anything you'd like to add to the agenda? So, you know, you know, really structure that appointment so it is a business meeting um often we're just too fluffy and we just turn up and 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 wing it you know i mean on the phone before you get to the appointment i'd be telling people look i'm going to send you some information in advance then what we're going to do is you're going to show me your house if that's okay which i really look forward to and then we're going to sit down at your dining table and have a business meeting so that's framing and it's a paradigm shift um, so if you do that and get there five minutes early and suddenly that person has an expectation of what's going to happen 
um, and you've got your collateral and you've got visuals, um, you're organised, um, your competition, what they're doing, they're just turning up usually three minutes late, unorganised, winging it, fluffing it, um, not taking control of the meeting. So I think this is so important if we are going to equip ourselves for these uh, uh, you know, metaphorical events or these black swan events like COVID in the in the future. So be prepared, um, budget for them because they're going to happen again. But create an impervious, robust, resilient, leak leakage proof business by covering all those buckets or all those silos that I just talked to you about. That was my first point. My second point is managing expectations. Now, the reason I jotted that down is because I, I closely ob observed Scott Morrison uh, during the, this whole period. Um, Scott happens to be a past client of mine and his wife, Jenny, actually. I sold their property, um, and I've, I've told this story a few times to people, sold their property about 20 years ago. Um, they had a, a one-bedroom apartment in Bronte in Sydney, near the beach there, um, and uh, he was a solicitor at the time. Uh, I think in political science for a firm. And he said, Adrian, I'm um, moving to Canberra. I'm going to have a crack at politics. And, and it was only obviously later until I realised how well he'd actually performed in that arena. So well, well done to him. But the reason I jotted down um, managing expectations is that, um, you know, one, one of the, the masterstrokes, I think, of his dialogue, um, and, and I think like any good politician i believe he's a good politician and a good human being but part of being a good politician is is one gaining respect from um from from your you, you know the the public um you know which i think is 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 is, is critical um and in this case it's the electorate which is the australian people two is um being a good orator and i think he's a very good orator three i think he's a very good listener as well but one of the master strokes was that he said look this is a six month exercise and a six-month process so when easter came around easter's going to be different guys you know you won't be going around and having your family together and whatever it might be so this this whole six-month uh period he 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 really i wouldn't say pushed it but but certainly made it uh, uh a very top of mind for the electorate or the public or or, or the australian uh, uh population and anything shorter than that um, seemed to be uh, an outstanding result. And obviously sort of three, four months into it now uh, or thereabouts, many restrictions have been eased and we're, we're getting back to somewhat normality. Um, it's a bit like a story I heard when uh, Qantas first introduced uh, 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 Wi-Fi in, in, in business class. You know, they, they made an announcement and said, okay, this is the inaugural flight, uh, folks. I think it was the captain that came on, 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 on the audio. This is the inaugural flight for Qantas uh, Wi-Fi. So you can check your phones and everything. It's going to be great. We're really excited about it. We've been working on it for years. Great piece of technology. Um, and you know, apparently everyone got excited and then they had to make another announcement and said, look, it's, it's not working. Um, and then you had every, everyone complaining. So like they were complaining about something which, which was, they never really had to start with, but there was an expectation that they were going to have it. So that's just a, a little aside about managing expectations. So, um, and, and why do I think that was necessarily important or why did I take note of it? Um, number one is obviously, you know, Scott, Morrison and 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 all all the government sort of came out looking quite good in in this uh, uh, this terrible event and this terrible crisis that we've endured in comparison to other politicians and and other governments uh, around the globe. Um, but I don't think that was necessarily his intent. I just think that you know six months was the right advice from the medical. Uh, uh, community at the time and and uh, obviously he just created an expectation and and now obviously we're, we're slowly emerging out of it sooner so how can we relate that to our lives as agents and our lives as as family uh, people I think number one is you know I think everything really comes down to managing expectations I mean I think you know years ago probably 30 40 years ago some 
uh, lower integrity agents used to call it conditioning, you know, which I think is a horrible word, but I don't think there really is any need for conditioning, but there is a, a requirement to manage professional expectations. And now I'm not just talking about price. I'm talking about the process. So, um, you know, there's, there's some energy and some dialogue that you would use at a listing appointment. Then there's some energy and dialogue you would use at a set to sell meeting. Now the set to sell meeting should occur just before the property goes live. Now that might be two, three weeks after a property is listed. So, um, that set to sell meeting is all about professionally managing expectations. Now this is not just on price. So what's that agenda look like? Well, number one, it's Adrian, um, just want to let you know what the communication process is. Um, firstly, I'll be calling after each inspection. Uh, I'll also be calling you most days. In fact, I'll be providing you two written weekly reports um, and also be meeting with you once a week uh, in order to go through the campaign. How do you feel about that? Oh, terrific. Good. Now, you've created an expectation that that's your best practice. Now, some owners, unless you told them that, might have had a completely different idea about what best practice actually looked like, what best practice communication sounded like. No one was wrong or right, but you actually just framed it. Um, the next thing could be about early offers. Well, just want to let you know um, that the old you know, saying about sometimes the best offer, uh, the, the first offer is the best offer, sometimes that can happen. So I'm not suggesting we're going to take the first offer, but even though your property might only be on the market six or seven days, I just want to let you know that um, I've got buyers been looking for six or seven months. So when, if that does happen, which in this market is inevitable that an offer may come early, let's just sit down and remember that it might be the right offer. It may not be, but I'll guide you through it. So I just want to just preempt that. Um, next thing on the agenda might be uh, what are the competing listings that we're going to be up against tomorrow when we go live. Oh, wow. Okay. What do you mean by competing listings? Well, we got instructions to sell this property off you 10 days ago or three weeks ago. Since then, there's been four other listings that have gone live that could potentially we could be competing with. Okay. Let's look at those. What's the price? What's the description? You know, let's, let's, let's unpack all of them. Um, what else could be on that agenda? Uh, relevant uh, sales. So in the last two to three weeks, there could be some relevant sales. And those relevant sales could readjust the market, uh, either in upwards or downwards fashion. We need to be aware of those because guess what? We're launching tomorrow. Um, the next thing on the agenda might be, okay, what are we going to discuss at our weekly face-to-face? -face? What we're going to discuss are the three levers in real estate. And I don't want to sound facetious or cliche with these levers, but they are true. Um, price presentation and marketing. So if your campaign gets off track and if the real estate business had a science to it, then the three scientific factors are price presentation and marketing. And the beauty is that there's, there's evidence that in previous campaigns, we've sat down after the first week and the, we reviewed price presentation and marketing. And sometimes some campaigns were off track. Uh, we might have had four groups through with no interest. And then we made slight evolutions or slight nuances to one or all of those levers. And the following week, we had 28 groups and six people interested. So the beauty is if the campaign gets off track, we can very easily tweak it and get it back on track. But we're not going to wait two weeks. We're not going to wait a month. We're not going to wait the day before the auction if it's an auction. We're going to take a pulse check weekly um, about these levers and we're going to um, intensely analyse price. We're going to intensely analyse presentation and we're going to intensely analyse uh, um, um, the, the marketing as well. So really, really important that we do that on a, on a weekly basis. So I think managing expectations was a really interesting reminder um, that came out of this uh, COVID crisis. Um, and I think it's important that we all adopt it in our real estate lives. We adopt it in our family lives. Like I don't have children, but I'm sure the people that do, it's all about managing expectations. I mean, I would say kids are probably the best negotiators, you know, so um, managing children's expectations, I'm, I'm sure is, is, is critical. Um, so that was my second point that I jotted down. Third point I jotted down here was the real estate industry is going through an evolution. Why do I say that? Um, I suppose given that I had six months um, away from working 
in a full-time business. Um, you know, I stopped working in a full-time business in November and started again about a month ago. Um, between then, obviously, I've been doing some consulting and coaching and, uh, you know, quite fortunately with, with, with a lot of people all over the country. Um, but during the, the period, obviously, I was approached by just so many people in the industry um, and people with all different models, uh, so-called disruptors, um, you know, deals, um, you know, commission splits, buying into businesses, not buying into businesses. Um, and, and what I'd learned was that it was very different to what the industry looked like, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, and given that I wasn't working in a business every day, I had time to sit back and attend some of these meetings and, and listen to what people had to say. Um, and everyone's looking for the next big thing, you know, the best next big disruption uh, in, in the industry. Um, so is it going through an evolution, uh, the industry? I think the answer is yes. Uh, I did come across some very interesting models, which I think have some merit. Um, I came across some uh, interesting people that um, were wanting me to exploit my previous place of work and uh, benefit themselves, which I had no interest in. Um, but the the models that that uh, sort of I, I, I took on board and and did listen to, um, and there's a few of them around, but two in particular were quite interesting. One's called Urban X, another one is EXP. So basically, what they involve is um, you being your own agent, call it Adrian Bow Real Estate or John John Smith Real Estate, um, and you can you can call it as as you will, but. Uh, Basically, you're setting up your own business um, and you're an independent, if you like, and the average commission, let's just call it for both of these models, and there's quite a few models around, but let's call it 80%, which is certainly on the upper end of what it would be if you joined a more traditional model, um, be it a franchise or uh, 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 you know, a, a, an independent, uh, uh, traditionally run business. Um, so for... For 20%, what these companies do is provide basically all the back end that you need. So CRMs, uh, all your subscriptions, uh, settlements, trust accounting, marketing. It, it's quite an interesting model. Um, so uh, those two in particular, you know, the Urban X one is, is uh, someone who I got to know. Dan Argent, uh, he, he's he's already recruited some 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 great agents um, uh, in, in in Queensland in particular, and the model seems to be working quite well for for them. Um, what what Urban X does is have you know Adrian Bow Real Estate, but but all of it, all the marketing. Um, I wouldn't call it distinctly, but certainly subtly is mentioned there that it, it is powered by Urban X, which I think is you know, not, not, not a bad idea. Um, with EXP, uh, less so. Basically, you, you, you don't have to mention EXP at all. You could uh, just have Adrian Bow Real Estate or you could have Powered by EXP. So they're, they're quite similar, but um, very different in that you know, Urban X is, is privately owned and uh, Dan Argent is, is heading it up. EXP is a, uh, a publicly listed company on, on the NASDAQ, actually, and I met the founder. I had, uh, 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 his name's Glenn. I had lunch with him uh, a few months ago. Lovely guy, uh, very successful in the US. They've got tens of thousands of agents signed up on this EXP. A um, little bit quirky in that they've got this sort of EXP world where you, you know you sign up and you're an avatar walking through this world. When I say quirky, I, I think it's probably ahead of its time. I think if it was five or 10 years down the track, we wouldn't be calling it quirky. I think that's, that's the way these sort of things are headed. Um, but both very uh, sustainable models, in my opinion, because they've got low cost base. Um, we've seen traditional businesses try and adopt these high commission splits, um, which which are less sustainable. And and there's proof of that now that um, there's there's cracks starting to occur. So I think Urban X and and EXP are just metaphors for 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 what you know the, the new the industry could look like or one part of the industry where it could be heading. And, 
and I mentioned those two in particular because, um, you know, EXP I'm doing some coaching for and I'm enjoying that. Um, and uh, I think they've got some, some, some good agents on board and, and even um, Urban X I've done some coaching for as well. And I think they've also got some, some really good agents. But again, these models won't stop. They'll continue. There'll be others like them. Basically a low cost base, very high commission split. Um, uh, and, and the agent has full autonomy around their own branding. Uh, the key with these uh, business models, though, is that you've still got to have an, your own office. You can choose not to have an office. You can work from home um, or, or you can have a serviced office. But, you know, the, the idea is you'd probably move away from the more traditional bricks and mortar of high um, uh, fit outs or expensive fit outs or high profile locations where you'd be spending thousands a week in, in rent. So I think they, they're advocating probably not to do that, but there's nothing stopping you doing that if, if you'd like. So it's quite an interesting part of the, the business. That So when I say, is our industry evolving? I think that part of it, there's, there, there's certainly a place for it. And, and, I, and I listened with interest. Um, then there was people who I met who um, really, as I said, were, were very keen on, on exploiting all the connections I had with um, the previous company I was, I was with, which, which was obviously McGrath Real Estate for, for 25 years. And uh, yeah, they were very keen on, on, on using those connections and, and uh, having me exploit them um, and for their own benefit. Um, and I declined, obviously. I mean, I had that opportunity uh, to do that a few years ago, it's quite commonly known that there was a breakaway group from McGrath who, uh, whose business model was mainly, mainly, I suppose, intended on, on um, uh, recruiting purely out of, out of the McGrath business and, and anything in addition to that. And um, yeah, that, that just didn't set well with myself. Uh, I, you know, I, I, f I felt physically ill at the time even even indulging it and, and obviously that's why i didn't i didn't pursue that um but i mean that that's a separate business unit they're, they're all the people involved in that uh i still consider them friends of mine i've got absolutely no ill feelings at all about it that was the right thing for them to do at the time and they're all terrific people and um and from what i can see they they do have a business that that is functioning at, at the moment so it was really interesting just being away from the industry and hearing all these stories. And um, so from, from a real estate sense, what did I decide to do? I, I, I decided to, to buy into a, uh, a, a boutique, profitable, established, reputable business. Um, uh, and that's the NG Farrah business. Um, the, the partners, there's, there's eight of us now. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. Um, I've been friends with them anywhere between 20 to 35 years. Um, uh, it's a 60 plus year old uh, business. Uh, we have three offices in, in the Southeastern pocket primarily. Um, and yeah, for someone who had fortunately quite, quite a lot of options, this was the right option for me. Um, it's immediately profitable. It's got great culture in the sense that um, it's, it's a genuine team where people share listings, share buyers, um, and uh, the, the, the branding is very flexible. Um, uh, you know, I've got an opportunity there to, to work with an existing sales team of about 20 people, which I think um, are all working under capacity. And I, I don't say that with any disrespect because I've met with them all individually and, and as head of sales there, as well as listing and selling, I've told them all that they're working under capacity and, and, and I'm very confident I can add value to the individual business uh, as of, of all the agents in particular individually and also as, as, as an entire business that I can add value there as well. But certainly back listing and selling, which, is, which has been really exciting actually um, and quite therapeutic and, and almost cathartic after, you know, what I've been through over that six-month period. So um, interesting decision, happy with the decision. Um, really good bunch of people, really support, supportive feedback from clients um, and certainly a business that I believe I can add a lot of value to um, and hopefully that's what I am doing and will continue to do. Um, so real estate industry is going through an evolution. Yeah, 
I think the answer is yes. And it was just interesting to uh, listen to all those uh, uh, models, have a chat to all those people in the industry. And, uh, and it was, it was an interesting period of time just to be away um, from the day-to-day running of a business, um, you know, for that six month period. Next point I've jotted down is adversity builds character. Um, why did I write that down? Um, I think I wrote it down because over the last six months and sort of late November in particular and December, um, I did go through, I suppose, what what's, what's, what's would be seen commonly as, as, as adversity. Um, and has it built character? Yeah, I, I believe, I believe it has. Um, you know, there was a period of time there uh, where some allegations were made and the media got very excited about it. And, you know, they were knocking on my door and, and they were, you know, following my, myself and my wife down the street and taking photos. And, um, you know, it all seemed quite uh, egregious, you know, shocking at the time. But uh, frankly, um, it, it, it was, it was a time of adversity for me, for sure. You know, like, were there moments where, where I sort of didn't want to get out of bed? Yes. Were there moments where I didn't get out of bed? Yes. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and what did I do about it? Well, you know, I tried everything from medication to meditation, you know, at the time to deal with it all. But I think in the end, um, what, what gets you through these things? And I don't, don't want it to sound cliche, but I think just time heals, um, I think, you know, in my heart, I knew the truth. Uh, The people that mattered knew the truth. Um, And the people that I knew and know uh, were never going to reinvent their opinion of me, you know, because I've I've done a lot of good and I have contributed to a lot of people's careers. And, and those people were constantly reminding me on a day-to-day basis during that difficult period of that. And, you know, I was inundated um, pleasantly and, and humbly by messages, phone calls, emails, texts, whatever, during that period of time. Um, so, yeah, I think adversity does build character. But the next point I jotted down next to that is perspective because, let's face it, like what I went through, it really wasn't that bad. I mean you know, you've got one person every 10 seconds around the world dying of hunger, and most of those are children. You've got 8 million people dying a year of cancer. I mean, frankly, what I went through was 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 a bump in the road. I mean, you know, this, this was really nothing compared to what's happening globally around around the world. Um, you know, it's it's a bit like... It's a bit like the game uh, Snakes and Ladders when I was a kid. And it was amazing now that I look back what a metaphor that was for life. I mean, you'd, you'd literally on this game, if you, for those enough who are not old enough to remember, you'd literally roll the dice. You'd, you'd, you'd get you know, a three or a four or five or six and you'd move three steps or four steps and you'd either hit a ladder. And if you hit a ladder, um, you'd go up uh, about 10 spaces. And obviously the, the name of the game was to, to reach the top. Um, and sometimes you'd roll the dice and you'd hit a snake and you'd go all the way down a few spots, you know, never back down to the bottom, but down a few stops. So um, in my case, the, the snake might be a, a Freudian slip or it might be a, a, a literal, uh, a literal snake. But in any case, um, it's interesting that, that, game how whether it was in in by design or by default how it actually prepared you for life um you know because sometimes you do hit ladders and you go up and sometimes you hit snakes and you and you and you go down and and uh in the scheme of things though perspective was was one thing i jotted down because i just think it's so important um we get so consumed in these sort of events or these outcomes that happen in our life it might be you lose a listing or it might be you go through a poor financial period it might be you have a relationship breakup uh, or it might be you have bad media you know like like i did or whatever but they're just one outcome they're not the final outcome they're one outcome which just leads to another outcome and frankly sometimes serendipitously it could end up actually being a fortunate outcome that leads to the next better outcome. So um, interesting uh, for me to jot that down perspective. Um, And I'm glad that I did. And I'm glad that I've shared that with you. 
The next thing I jotted down here was McGrath was the best thing that ever happened to me. Why do I say that? A lot of people might sound surprised. Well, I was with the company for 25 years. Um, so that in itself, I think is, 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 is an achievement and it's, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing. It's basically 90% of my real estate career and, and most of my adult life. Um, Secondly, I had the opportunity to invest in the company before it went public, um, and all this is, you know, could be public record if if you, you know, if you looked into it. But, you know, I invested a few hundred thousand, and and um, you know, I was rewarded by by a few million dollars. I, I don't say this to impress anyone, but just to impress upon you that McGrath was a great thing that happened to me. I mean, financially, obviously, um, by that particular example. Um, Secondly, it was an incredible platform for me to build my career. I mean, the things I learned, uh, the the awards I received, whether it was the REB, you know, top five or ten agents in the country. Uh, I was number one agent in McGrath on on at least two occasions. I was in the top five on a number of occasions. Um, I was able to open my own company-owned office at the time, and I made that into a 10 million GCI office all under two years. Um, uh, during my time at McGrath, I completed my MBA, which was which was challenging but extremely rewarding. Um, I got to sit on the board. Um, I uh, also got to be a, a, a general manager in, in company-owned sales. Then I was a growth performance coach, and then I ended up um, at the end there as head of sales. You know, so so all great achievements. And again, you know, I think it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Uh, another, another reason that McGrath was one of the best things that happened to me is it's, it's actually where I met my wife and my wife, Megan is the, the sweetest person and, and the, the, the most generous and loving person I know. And, um, you know, at the time we used to run a um, stipulated registration course and she was thinking about, getting into real estate and completed the course and I literally bumped into her and sort of developed a friendship and initially and then then a relationship and sort of you know 10 12 years later we're still together and and life couldn't be better so when people say to me oh you know McGrath you know obviously what you've been through and and um and what happened you know you you, you must you must despise uh, that period or the company, and I'm like, no, not at all. Like, look at all the great things that's that's come of it. Um, and another thing is is some of the friendships that I've developed uh, within the company still to this day. Uh, like John McGrath in particular is is one of my closest friends, almost like my brother, uh, really. And and there's so many others. I, I don't even want to mention names because you know who you are if you're listening to this you know how much I love you and you know how much uh, it meant to me when you reached out to me and supported me um, and the friendships that I've got from this incredible business uh, at McGrath is just, uh, you know, irreplaceable. So I'll, I'll forever be grateful and I'll never look at McGrath in a, uh, in a, in a negative fashion at all. It's just, I don't see the upside. Um, and I suppose that gets me to my next point where I jotted down where it's where it's it's actually harder to be angry than it is to be happy. Um, and the reason I jotted that down is it takes a lot of effort. Like I was initially really angry when um, you know these allegations were were thrown at me, and 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 you, know, you go through all the emotions, I suppose, anger and uh, and and you know all all these things, and you just think, you know what, it just takes so much effort, time, energy. You're better off just just being happy, and I, I just I just feel so blessed and so happy that um, things are into perspective for me, and I'm not one of those eight million people that that have die of cancer every year. I'm not one of those people that die every ten seconds, mostly children of just hunger, uh, which is insanity. I mean, when you think about it, we actually make enough food throughout the globe actually to to feed humans in all the crops, but we actually feed it to animals so we can eat the animals. But anyway, I don't want to go on a side note, but I mean it's just insanity when you think about it that the solution to to world poverty and hunger um, is actually it already exists. You know, we're we're making 
way more en enough crops and and, uh, and and natural produce to feed the world's population but but the the wealthy and uh, and i suppose people that can afford to um, uh, get it fed to animals and then we eat the animal but look i, I you know I, i'm not I don't want to be an advocate for that sort of thing. I, I you know, I, I'm mainly a vegan diet, but I do eat some animals as well. Um, but it's just insane that perspective is is a really critical point that I wrote down. Um, being angry takes more time and energy than being happy. Um, so I think it's critical that I that I do mention those. Um, the next one I jotted down there was that. I am naive. Yeah, I, I, I agree that I'm a bit naive. Um, it took going through that, um, what I went through to, to be a bit naive, to realise that I'm a bit naive. And I, I, I genuinely thought I'd be the last person who'd be naive. I mean, um, from, a, from, from a street sense, you know, I grew up in Maroubra. Um, you know, I was very street smart, uh, had my wits about me, went to a went to Waverley College, which anyone, you know, who knows Waverley College, you sort of need to have your wits about you there. It's, I wouldn't call it um, a school that's academically inept or, or apt, but um, it, it's certainly, you know, a rounded school where you need to be good at sports and you, you need to, you need to um, um, certainly be okay at, at, at academia. But um, yeah, it's just the sort of school you need to have your wits about you. Um, so I thought I was really quite street smart. Um, and then professionally, you know, I've been working in, in, in a business environment for three decades, completed a master's degree in business. Um, I really thought I was so, you know, all, all these things you look at um, and all the positions that I held, you know, I'd sort of employed, employed people, uh, I've had management positions. Um, you, you'd think I'd be the last person who was naive, but I think where, where I was naive, um, and I also sort of made a note next to that, saying that um that i know the sort of person i am what type of person i am and i think these two points are related being naive and knowing the sort of person i am so the person i am which i realized through this last six or seven months person i am is someone who gives a lot uh who's generous uh who's selfless um and always sees the best in every single person and I think my blind spot and where I am slightly naive um, was that I didn't see the nefarious or the duplicitous side of some people. And unfortunately that exists, you know, and, and, and I've, I've seen that now, I've been exposed to it. Um, and some people have their own agendas and there are some nefarious, duplicitous type people. Um, so what have I learned from that? Number one is that I'm not going to change. So what I'm going to continue to be is generous, selfless and contribute and, and love instead of hate and always see the best side in people. I'm going to continue to do that. What I've learned though, is this, is that throughout my 49 years of living and 31 years in the industry is that 99% of people has seen those traits of me as something they can appreciate and something that they can um, work alongside and and respect. The 1% have seen it as a weakness, and that's the clinch in my armour. And that 1% who see those traits of me as a weakness are the ones that have taken advantage and may continue to take advantage, but I'm not going to change because I'd rather stick with the 99%. And I know that in my 31 years of real estate, I've literally helped thousands of clients because I've sold over two and a half thousand properties. Um, and I've literally helped hundreds of agents develop their careers. And, and some of you might be listening now that, that, that I've either coached or taught or employed or gave a start to or recruited or whatever that might be and saw the best in you um, and, and, and developed you and, and, contributed and gave and was selfless and you know what you're the 99% club that appreciated it there's the 1% that took advantage and exploited and I'm less concerned about that um, so I suppose you know a lot of people are curious you know what what was all this this about yes this um, 
you know, black swan event in my life, if you like, that happened late last year. Basically, there were, you know, allegations, which I'd always denied. Um, in saying that, you know, what was what was quite ironic was, you know, the, it's well publicised what I'd allegedly said. Um, and and I, I never said those words. And, I, I, you know, I, I denied it then. And, and um, there was a so-called investigation and and the investigation was um, was quote unquote substantiated. Um, what that means is that one person over me said that I did say it, uh, but myself saying I didn't say it, they didn't substantiate my word. They substantiated the uh, another person's word. The irony is though, those those uh, words that were said, um, yeah, quite quite rude, quite disgusting. Um, I never said it. People, people that I know closely know that I never said it. But am I perfect? No. Um, have I in my personal life, either socially and sometimes probably in my professional life in, in 30 years in working in real estate, said things as equally as offensive in the past Pro probably yes but it's subjective because sometimes you can joke and someone subjectively might see it as an offense and some people might see it as as an opportunity to have a laugh but the irony is that what was said in some people's eyes could be seen as quite benign compared to what other people have said or what might what i might have said in the past who knows so i think the important things in summary for that because i don't really want to dwell on it is that Am I perfect? No. Could I have said things in my 49 years of living which were misinterpreted and someone could, offended, could have been offended by? Yes. Um, could I have said something in my 49 years of living which I didn't mean to say, uh, but I had the best intentions and never intended to hurt anyone? Probably. Like the list goes on. Let's face it, guys. You know, the, the, the world is not, not, not a perfect place people are not perfect human beings are not perfect um but you know the reality is this i at the time was a substantial shareholder of mcgrath as a substantial shareholder of mcgrath i was a very vocal contrarian to certain strategies because and i'm not giving away any secrets here the business was not paying dividends. I mean, you only have to be a shareholder to know that or look on the stock exchange or looking, look into any details. Um, as a shareholder for many years, the business was profitable. I was getting dividends. I was placed in a position of quite high authority and actually by law an officer of the company and I had an obligation to the shareholders, including myself. And the bizarre thing is, the people that threw me under the bus, if you look at them, and there's only two or three of them, guess how many shares between them they owned? Zero. The people that supported me, including John and, and other shareholders in the business and outside the business, they were actually had skin in the game and they were shareholders because they knew, A, how much I had contributed over the last 25 years, and B, how much I was currently contributing at that particular time. Um, and yes, was, was I a contrarian to some strategies? Yes. Was I opposed of some unnecessary spending? Yes. Um, did I think that the model could have been changed? Yes. Was I very vocal about that? Yes. Um, you know, could I easily have just um, subscribed to the status quo and taken a paycheck um, and not say anything and just go home? Yes, but that's not me. Uh, I'm passionate. Um, of, of the whole time I've had skin in the game at McGrath as a shareholder, I was always vocal and I was, I was always had an opinion about how to improve the business, number one. Number two, how to make it more efficient. Number three, how to make it more profitable. Um, number four, how to benefit the actual shareholders. Isn't that what it's all about? I mean, it's just crazy that... Um, that, uh, uh, that any business, and in this case, it was a publicly owned business, it's insanity that the main focus shouldn't have been, one, dividends, i.e. profit, two, share price going up. And how do you do that? 
very easily. Number one, make your existing agents more profitable. Number two, um, recruit new, more agents, but the model needed to be right. Um, so look, I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to give away, um, you know, what my obligations were um, at that particular time. But, you know, anything I've just said is, can be public knowledge, very easy for, for anyone to, uh, to get access to. And, and as I said, the people that, that really know the truth um, are people that, uh, that, that support me and everyone's going to have their own opinion, you know, whatever that might be. And that's up to them. Um, and people are entitled to their opinions. But it goes back to my main point here, which McGrath was one of the best things, if not the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I, I, I fondly admire the, the people in the business. I, 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 I love a lot of people in that business. Um, um, it's an incredible uh, brand. It's got incredible people in it. This is just my story people are going to have their own stories and their own subjective opinions. I'm entitled to mine. Um, what's the next thing I jotted down? Um, that uh, coaching. Coaching is really interesting. Um, I've had a lot of time to coach a lot of people over the last few months and still available for coaching. I've got that flexibility in my new role. Um, and if anyone is interested, you know, they, they know how to reach me and I'd, I'd love to work with you. Um, it's a really interesting, um, selfless, uh, altruistic uh, um, uh, role that you play as a coach. Because as a coach, what I do is see what you can't see and hear what you can't hear. Um, and the highest form of currency for me is when agents that I coach, uh, either in the past at McGrath or now in my current um, uh, business or just externally, whatever it might be, when they say to me, Adrian, I use that piece of dialogue or um, I, I, I use that, that process or that checklist or, um, you know, I use that agenda or whatever it might be and I got that listing or I got that sale or, I mean, it's just incredible currency for me, incredible currency. So uh, I just can't uh, begin to, uh, to thank the people that I've worked with and um, just, you know, be able to talk to you freely about, how rewarding it is to be able to coach people. So look, that's probably enough for this episode of the Adrian Bow podcast. Um, it's great that we're back and I will be coming to you on a regular basis and the format and the agenda, I haven't quite decided yet, but it'll probably in, include some coaching, some tips, some insights, some interviews um, and any feedback that you've got, feel free to reach out to me at any stage. Okay, signing off now. It's been great talking to you and uh, you guys stay safe and God bless all of you. Thank you.